0: Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest. Extra time with myself, Ned Keaton. I'm joined this morning by Harry Brent as we run the rule over another busy weekend of Premier League action. And Harry, we've got plenty to get stuck into this morning. We've got new leaders in the Premier League. We've got same old stories for certain clubs, looking at you, Manchester United, unfortunately. And, of course, uh, a little bit more of, <laughs> of VAR as well. I don't think we've covered it too much in recent weeks. We thought we got through it, and now we're back talking about it again. Uh, but we are going to start with Manchester United, Harry, this morning, Um, and I suppose... For them, the best way to describe what happened against Bournemouth was embarrassing, maybe humbling as well. Uh, To lose 3-0 at home to Bournemouth in the Premier League is, you know, for most Man United fans, I'd say unfathomable. But it's just symptomatic of the season that they're having, isn't it? That, you know, these kind of, you know, shock results, I wouldn't say shock results so much. That's probably doing Bournemouth a disservice because the the form that they're in. But Manchester United simply put should not be losing 3-0 at home to Bournemouth should they i mean on paper no but i mean you know the times times have changed
1: now haven't they and and uh, you know we've seen that that those these sorts of results are very sort of common or you know can be common in the in the premier league uh, i mean yeah you, you mentioned it being embarrassing I, it, for me it was such a big and sort of a silly missed opportunity really because uh, particularly after the such a Strong performance against Chelsea in midweek, you know that had the feel of a of a real sort of season changer. They, you know they they played Chelsea off the park. They probably should have won by three or four goals in the end. Um, you know, and uh, to sort of fail to take any of that momentum into into the weekend against Portsmouth was 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 eye opening um i mean we we their sort of problems with consistency has been well documented and you know we possibly come onto this in a minute I, I sort of feel sorry for them in some ways because i know it's sort of some of it has been taken out of their hands but um you know opportunities to build momentum and confidence this season ha- are going to be few and far between have been few and far between and and that was a real you know it's embarrassing result but as I say a really big missed opportunity to pick up some 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 points and some momentum particularly with the the must win against Bayern around the corner because uh you know had they had they been going into that game with with not only two wins on the bounce but you know really two sort of big feel-good wins they and particularly with Bayern losing at the weekend they'd have probably thought you know what we can we can do this and that I'm sure there'd be a hell of an atmosphere um you know in the in, in, in in the man united section so um but yeah really really embarrassing and just such a letdown after after such a strong performance in midweek we know it shows they can do it but they just need to find that consistency
0: well, as you said there, yeah, big missed opportunity. And, and, and definitely I agree with you on that point. And, you know, you said there about a good performance against Chelsea in the week. Eric Ten Hag and his press comments afterwards, very defiant as well. One journalist um, saying, oh, you know, we've all said it's a crisis. You're only three points uh, behind Man United, uh, uh, Manchester City Sorry, after that win over Chelsea. And Ten Hag comes out and bullishly says, crisis, what crisis? And you're kind of thinking, well, they've got their swag about their smile. And then they go and drop another performance like that. And it is a case really for Man United this year of one step forward but probably two, if not three, maybe four sometimes backwards. They just don't, as you said there, they have chances to build momentum. They just don't seem to be able to take it. And and they're very, very, Eric Ten Haag himself even said it at the weekend. They're very, very inconsistent. Perhaps the only consistency that Man United have is being inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, that's probably right. And
1: I, I do think that, uh, no disrespect to Man United fans, I do think the league table is a little bit deceptive, really, because I think if you look at the sort of underlying stats behind... Uh, you know, Man United's performances this uh, this season—they they tend to beat the sort of lower lower ranked ranked sides, lose to the teams above them, and and I think when they get beaten, they tend to lose by by you know quite significant margins and and win by small margins. So it sort of suggests that when they lose, they lose comfortably. When they win, they're scraping it, which which is again why I think that the game against Chelsea was such a potential kind of you know uh, leap from a uh, uh, springboard opportunity rather um but yeah the the, the 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 you know one step forward two steps back is, is is exactly right i do um i do have sympathy for them i've been saying this all season to people that um you know given the sort of way their campaign started they've had a lot of injuries i know t- i know lots of teams have had lots of injuries so it's not it's not a unique complaint for them um but uh you know the 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 sort of off field dramas that they've that they've been having the rumbling takeover saga, which again seems to be coming to to its completion, but all this sort of stuff uh, will will play a part. I, I don't really think their team looks sort of settled in terms of who's going to be there in the next uh, one or two years. And we know that sort of takes a toll on players if they think they're going to be off in the summer. So, uh, you know, I, I do have sympathy for them, but uh, yeah, the, the, the fact that they've been sort of unable to string two or three you know, strong performances together at all. Uh, I mean, i'd I'd even I'd even suggest that game against Chelsea was their uh, sole quality performance. It is it is a worry, and and if if it sort of carries on for much longer, if they go through the whole season uh, basically winning by scraping wins rather than playing well, you 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 do start to think. Well, you know, is is the is the pressure going to be on Ten Hag? When does the pressure start really ramping up on on Ten Hag? For me personally,
0: I think it, it's perhaps starting to, to ramp up now, and definitely um, we'll talk about Tuesday's game against Bayern Munich in the Champions League a little bit later on uh, on the show. But for sure, if, if that doesn't go the way that Man United want on the course, the game between Copenhagen and Galatasaray going the way that they want it as well, then, uh, then yeah, I'm sure it will ramp up massively in the, in, in the coming days, <laughs> let alone the coming weeks. Um, but sticking in the northwest uh, this morning, Harry and. Uh, a team that is doing far better than Manchester United and having a far more enjoyable season uh, than Manchester United. Our Liverpool new leaders in the Premier League uh, taking over from Arsenal this weekend. Had to leave it late against Crystal Palace though to win and of course, perhaps benefiting from a a soft second yellow for Jordan Ayew as well and and maybe one or two other decisions going in their favour with the A.R. But leaving it late against Crystal Palace, left it late previously against Fulham as well. For me, from the outside looking in, this has all the hallmarks of what title winners do. They find a way to win somehow. You know, we have, you know, pretty much become accustomed, I think, to maybe Manchester City instead sweeping sides, uh, a side left, right and centre. But, you know, the kind of old title winners, they just find a way. It didn't matter. You know, they could be behind in the 90th minute. And we've seen that with Liverpool uh, this year as well, you know, kind of needing to to, to get 90th minute winners um, and to, to get the result that they want. And we've seen that from Liverpool a couple of times already this year and, that's kind of it, isn't it? It just kind of adds that, perhaps maybe a little bit more confidence to the side as well. It's like, it doesn't matter where we find ourselves, how we find ourselves in a game, we're still going to come back and, and get the
1: win. 100%. I, I think it's been so benefit. I mean, you know, I, I, I sort of um, will say that, that I'm yet to see a properly blow away performance from Liverpool this season I'm yet to be completely sort of uh, you know flabbergasted by how good they are as as was usually the case you know back in their sort of uh, you know uh, Initial initial uh, clock period when they were blowing everybody away, um, but as you say, the, the the results keep coming, and you 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 can only praise it because I think that that sort of mentality doesn't doesn't come to teams who who don't have the sort of capacity to go on and to go and win uh, and win things. I think I read somewhere that I, th- I think they have got by some distance the most late goals since Klopp's c- come in uh, uh, of any team in the in the Premier League. So it shows that it's not just. It's not just fluke. This is obviously something that you know they want to they want to keep the intensity and sort of keep you know keep pressing as the as the games go on. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I still do think that given that um, just given that we haven't probably seen that that really definitive, uh, we're coming for the title performance from them. There there is a sort of sense that if maybe that the, the the performances don't go up a notch, then when it comes to the sort of nuts and bolts at the end of the season, will, you know, if, if, Man City are on top form, if Arsenal are on top form, will they just have that edge? Who, who, who knows really? But um, as, as you said, the, the, the sort of ability to continue winning and, and, and winning in the last minute, which obviously that's, that's a big feel good thing. You know, that will, that will only serve them well. And we'll probably start to see the performances pick up. Uh, but yeah, you, you got to say sign sign of champions They're they're, they're, the, they look the most consistent team in the league even if the performances aren't aren't showing it results wise they're definitely the most consistent and that you know I think I think it's clear they will definitely be there at the at the end of the season uh but yeah, I, I still think their performances probably have a notch or two to go up before they can be sure that trophy's coming back to Anfield.
0: As we mentioned there, Liverpool taking over at the top of the table, taking over from Arsenal, who uh, probably really hates VAR and, and, you know, kind of refereeing decisions being overturned uh, as such, or or even the fact that it wasn't overturned, I think, in the end, wasn't it? I think Jared Gillett didn't give the goal initially for kite habits as as they looked to get an equaliser at Aston Villa. But that situation perhaps highlighted a bit of, uh, you know, I know Ian Wright was quite angry about the, the handball law, but it kind of highlighted a bit of maybe a grey area perhaps in in that. Uh, for those that haven't seen it, uh, Kai Havertz looked to have bundled home the ball to give Arsenal a late equaliser at Aston Villa. said it was ruled out because Kai Havertz was ruled to have handballed it. Now, if you watch the footage back, it also looks like Aston Villa defender Matty Cash also handballed it. Now, the difference is... If an attacker handballs it in the process of scoring a goal, immediately ruled out, doesn't matter if it's intentional or not. If a defender does it and it's accidental, and to be fair to Cash, you know, I'm not entirely sure where he could have put his hands in that moment in time unless he tied them behind his back. But because it was accidental, it wasn't intentional, doesn't matter even if he did touch the ball, that's fine, that's allowed, there's no penalty involved there. And it's that kind of inconsistency, isn't it? That you're kind of penalising the attackers and giving the benefit to the defenders. and it And it kind of feels a little bit, unfair you know I'm a, I'm a Tottenham fan say this and I kind of feel sorry for Arsenal in that you know this kind of grey area in the handball law seems to have, have kind of cost them and you can understand the frustrations for sure can't you um, it, with that and it's you know, maybe not so much VAR being the issue here this time maybe it is more the handball law but Again, Arsenal just kind of feeling like the world's against them. I think again after after the game at Aston Villa, I've got limited sympathy for for
1: Arsenal just because I, I wasn't a fan of their their reaction to the uh, to the Newcastle controversy. If I'm honest, but I, I did have sympathy, like you did, for for, for this goal, like you know. Uh, this this has always been my my issue with, with VAR. I'm very much in line with Postacoglu's uh, uh, view on on, on VAR. I, th- I think it's I think it's uh, never particularly liked it. I think it's overused. But I think in in this scenario, it's just very un like it's just it's just unsatisfying. Uh, you know, you you sort of microscopically analyzing very subjective situations and as you said that the handball rule is has has been altered so that these situations can be cleared up in as efficient way as efficient a way as possible but it doesn't particularly you know you, I, I think most most football fans pre VAR would look at that that goal and, and if it got given very few people would have complaints and i, I don't think that the handball rule was brought in to prevent the ball deflecting off Kai Havertz's arm in a, in a sort of goal mouth scramble and, and he eventually knocking it in it's to prevent Thierry Henry against Ireland sort of situations r- rather than anything else so I, I think in, in some ways we sort of forget sometimes why these why these rules are there and and precisely what we should be penalising and what not and, and, whatnot. and I do feel look, I do feel sorry for the the officials that you know they obviously get dogs abuse about everything these days, but you know they they ha- they've enforced the rules correctly, so so you you can't really have a go at them. But yeah, I, I I just I just I never I never feel satisfied with with VAR, even when decisions go are correct or go go in favour of my team. I just I just think the whole process is 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 sort of counterproductive, and uh, yeah, as as I say, I think if, if you're Arsenal, you have every right to feel to feel aggrieved, even though to, as, as per the letter of the law, the, the, the goal was correctly ruled out.
0: Well, I just wonder with VAR, I'm just still surprised that we haven't got a system in place now, where, as you say, they're overused. And, uh, and I think most fans would agree with you there, that it hasn't progressed to a stage where it's like tennis or cricket, where you have X amount of challenges per half or whatever or per match. And if you get it right, you keep it, you, you get it wrong, you lose it. That would allow the game to flow more. And perhaps in that instance at the weekend, you wonder if whether or not Aston Villa had the goal, I know that the goal had been um hadn't been given on the pitch, they would have been probably in, in that scenario on Arsenal to challenge it, but whether or not the goal had been given, whether or not Aston Villa would have would have challenged it. Cause you kind of go, well, it's it's a bit hard to tell when you wouldn't know. And the, uh, it would be that kind of situation maybe the goal would have stood then um you know and, and maybe that's something that, that people need to look at with the AR to, to kind of consider I'm just surprised that it's not even been really talked about as a, as an option to kind of take those ones but Harry just on Aston Villa themselves and how they're performing this season and I've said this a couple of times on podcast before and a couple of guests have laughed at me and, and the lovely Conor kind of Brumley definitely laughed at me when I said that Aston Villa they're in the title hunt. And this was before last week But they've gone and beaten the treble winning champions, Manchester City, gone and beaten the table toppers, Arsenal. Admittedly, both at home. I think, you know, the, their home record this year has been brilliant. Uh, maybe when they do that away from home as well, that, that's when we really stand up and count them. But they have to be in this title talk, don't they? Now, they really have to be considered for what they've done, how they've started the season. We're so far into this campaign now, we're almost halfway through it. They have to be considered title contenders at this point yeah i don't think Conor Connor
1: could uh, could laugh at you now if you, if you suggested the same um yeah i, th- I think they do i mean you know I, I, it's it's very easy to to say it you know if they string wins wins against you know man city and arsenal two two sort of biggest title contenders you, you you'd think at the start of the season uh, and you know both performing performing well this season uh they've got to they've got to be there not not least for you know we we've, we've seen the the i think they're second in the 2023 table behind Man City, so uh, you know they're they're absolutely there on merit. As you said, the home their home form has been uh, has been great. I I think another reason that to suggest that there's no there's no reason to sort of say that they won't be in the in the title race is there there is a bit of a sense that it's quite an open race at the moment. Obviously, we've had Man City dropping quite a lot of points recently. I mentioned before. I still think Liverpool have a notch or, notch or two in terms of performances to go up. You probably could say the same about Arsenal. You know, perhaps with Tottenham's win at the weekend, there's a chance they can sort of come firing back. So there's still there's a few <laughs> shaking the head. There's there's a few uh, there's a there's a few options. No one particularly looks like they're, they're they're pushing away. Villa have all the confidence, all the momentum, and it's not just that they're playing really well as well. And they're playing. You know, they they play. They absolutely outplayed. Uh, City, you know, they stood up to Arsenal really well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I there's probably a, a case to say their squad is a bit a bit thin, and you know, a bit similar to sort of Arsenal situation last season, where a couple of injuries to key players, and you might expect a bit of a, a bit of a drop off, or you know, just that when that when the intensity ramps up at the end of the season, they might struggle. But I think it would be foolish to set to sort of dismiss them now i i don't think they'll win the league but they they are in the they are in the hunt for sure uh and and rightly so they they are looking you know right now on form they are one of the best teams in the premier league for sure and they they uh, they deserve to be labelled as title contenders
0: just finally on the Premier League's weekend action uh, great wins uh, for Tottenham but it's boring when Tottenham win because I can't moan about anything or rant um, oh. so that, that that's a terrible shame and, and we can't take up too much time on the podcast uh, Manchester City as well having to dig deep at Luton uh, to come from behind to win and then that win this run for them that that strange win this run we're so used to as we've said a couple of times already this morning Manchester City being all conquering all dominant um, but I want to focus just on Chelsea before we move on to the Champions Champions League Harry and some comments from Mauricio Pochettino after their 2-0 defeat at Everton suggesting that more surgery more transfer surgery is needed on this squad in the January window and I suppose even for those outside of Chelsea and, and, and those that aren't fans of the club they would kind of be looking at those comments and gone but you've spent so much already how have you not got there for him to suggest that it does it, is that concerning for, for those associated with Chelsea, and equally, is is Berlin likely to finance it? You know, big big windows, three big windows so far as Chelsea owner. I mean, the manager to come out and go, well, yeah, we still need a lot more gaffer, uh, we still need a lot more transfers and a lot more money chucked at it. Here. Well, that's hardly ideal, isn't it? Yeah, I,
1: I don't think more spending is uh, is the answer for for Chelsea. I I, I read um, Maurizio Pochettino's quote, I get the impression it was more a kind of open-ended su- suggestion to sort of say there might be something we can do in January to to remedy our, our, the the struggling form that we're in. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I certainly think that that if if they were to go on another big spending spending spree, that would raise some serious red red flags because you know it's it's clear as day to anyone that. The you know one of the big issues at Chelsea is the the players that need to settle get used to playing with each other and get used to playing under Pochettino. So adding more not only adding more players would you know even if they're quality players would that would be a problem. But also sort of if you add more players, that means other players are, are got to leave or know they're going to leave in the summer. So that would just sow seeds of of doubt and dissent in the in the squad, which is problems they've had the you know, dogged their season last season so um i mean the only the only thing to say is uh, obviously they that Chelsea have struggled to score goals for seemingly for years uh but it's a big problem at the moment and you could argue that should a really good quality number nine goal scorer become available there's a there's a chance that they there's an argument to say they should they should push I think Christopher and Kunku's return will remedy the goal scoring situation a little bit. Uh he's not he's not a classic number 9 but he, you know he's a goal scorer so that will help them when he eventually does uh, make his debut. Um so yeah I I think I think if uh, you could sort of forgive them if uh, it would be fanciful, but maybe if Victor Osimhen is on the market, or they want to go after Ivan Toni or something, you know, they they just decide right we need goals, goals are the problem. Then I can understand it. But if they start going right, we're going to buy another hundred million pound midfielder, and we're going to get another defender, that that will raise some serious red flags. And you'd like to think Pochettino will have the sense to sort of advise against another another spree uh you know particularly because he's so big on harmony and you know everybody being together and all that sort of stuff uh the, the last thing chelsea need is more squad disruption
0: Moving on to the Champions League now, it's the final round of group stage games this week. And while uh, Manchester City and Arsenal have already signed up top spot in their groups, there's still a lot of work to do for Manchester United and Newcastle if they're going to join them in the knockout stages in the new year. Uh, We are going to start with, with Manchester United though first, Harry. And for them, does it perhaps sharpen their minds that it's a do-or-die game against Bayern Munich. Yes, they'll you know, be keeping one eye on, on Copenhagen and hoping that there's no goals whatsoever or anything there. No drama, no nothing, anything. Just a nice, boring game, 90 minutes, hit the woodwork 19 times, whatever. No goals there. But obviously for them, they have to win and they know that they have to win. So there's that sharp in the mind a little bit going into the game. But it's not a case of, you know, oh, okay, if we do this, then this happens. If that happens, then we can do this. It, it has to be a win. They have to find a way to win against Bayern Munich to give them any chance of going through it.
1: Does it sharpen their minds? Um, I mean, it could. I I fear now, particularly given the, the results of the weekend, what's going to go through their minds is, are we going to get whacked again? That's my fear for them. I if if it if it was purely in their hands, if it was win against Bayern Munich and you're through, I think there's there's a good there would be a good chance to sort of you know galvanization and, and get everybody get everybody firing. But obviously, if if results don't go their way in the other fixture, they a win a win doesn't matter. So. With all of that, I, I do fear for them a little bit. I think that they'll they'll think they're out going into it. I think they'll be now worried considering that they've got whacked by Bournemouth. What will be on their minds is we don't want two hidings back to back. Uh and you know, hiding against Bayern is very, very possible. So um you know, look, anything can anything can happen on a on a on a sort of you know dramatic Champions League night. You know, we we all know, and, and you know, Man United, even even in the form that they're in, have the potential to pull off a a, a great result. Bayern Munich are not the superpower that they that they were a few years ago, for sure. So there is a possibility, but as I say, i i i got i got a bit I'm a bit concerned for them uh, heading heading into this tie. I do think I do suspect that the mood will be gloomy. A confidence will be down, and it'll probably be a bit of a walk in the park for for Bayern. Even even if they don't whack them, I think it'll be a comfortable, uh, comfortable day's
0: work. Okay, let's let's by the sounds of it, what would be a miracle for you? Uh, let's suggest that Man United do go and beat Bayern Munich somehow. But then there's a winner in the game between Copenhagen and Galatasaray. Is that a worse scenario for Man United dropping into the Europa League if that were to happen, and dropping out of European title? I'm not saying that you know that you wouldn't want to win the Europa League title, but for Man United and, and kind of the work that maybe they need to do so far this year, uh, for from what we've seen so far this year, sorry that maybe dropping out of Europe altogether mightn't be the worst thing if they can't progress to the next stages of the Champions League. Because again, as well, if they were to drop into the Europa League, then they'd have that playoff. That'd be another two games as well to chuck into the mix.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can I can see the argument to say that dropping, you know, to, sorry, going out of Europe entirely is will, will be good for them. Obviously, they've had lots of injury issues and, and they could probably just deal with, you know, a week to prepare for every game. I think that 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 will be handy. Um that said i i do think there is a, uh, there is a sort of sense that it, it will just be another sort of you know headline of calamity for their for their for their team no european football they're out they you know if they're struggling in the league how long will it be before they before they're back in it um you know the the europa league is a comp- competition they they can, they can certainly win um and I I do think if they if they even even if they didn't win it if they had a big run at the end of the uh, end of the season got to the final the semi final or something it would just put a little bit of a positive spin on what is probably going to be quite a bad season for them uh, as we said as we touched upon before I, their performances have, have been poor all season barring uh, Wednesday and uh, you know I, I you, you sort of think that if 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 it ends with uh, a win in the Europa League, or just or just a couple of good, you know, knocking knocking out a uh, you know a, a strong Spanish team or an Italian team in the latter stages, that might just be the sort of pick, pick up feel good thing that that, that bookends quite a bad, I mean, you know, bookends positively bookends a bad season for them. So. I would want to go into the Europa League I think you know you, you want to you want your team in, in a competition that, that they can win so
0: rather than just nothing so I, you know I, that's what I'd be rooting for if I was a high fan I suppose the accountants as well they'd like the fact that there's still games to look forward to games as well so they'd be quite pleased with that um, Newcastle a very similar situation to Man United as well they need uh, a victory against United to give them any hope of progressing and of course then keeping one eye on the game between Dortmund and PSG and hoping that there's a home win in that fixture for Dortmund as well to, to aid their of, of getting through to the to the knockout stage of the Champions League. So for Newcastle, likewise Manchester United, same situation. Sharp minds, everything else know that they have to win. But is the squad perhaps too depleted for that? Have they got to a stage where they're running on empty? Um, you know, as we said earlier on, lost four one at, at Tottenham uh, on Sunday.
1: They looked quite spent, definitely the defence especially, looked quite spent in that one. Jamal LaSalle, and Gabby and at centre-half
0: looked very tired, and Kieran Trippier probably had one of his worst performances in a Newcastle shirt as well that game. Is this perhaps a step too far for this Newcastle side? Have there been too many games for depleted squad that, you know, bless them, they haven't been helped by injuries for sure, but it just looks like it's starting to take, it's toll somewhat on the squad. It's certainly a bad time to play them. I, I don't think it's a step too far. I, I think
1: that, I think this, what Eddie Howe has, has demonstrated to us is this team has has the ability to just you know uh, bring a producer performance if and when it matters. I know that they have struggled with with you know form injuries they've you know the uh, sort of increase in the number of games. I think that was always going to be uh, a, a, an issue for them uh, this season. but um you know as, as I'm sure they would have loved to love to play Milan in a, in a you know better sort of vein of form, but at the same time, it just—it almost feels like the kind of game that that could potentially just make you know that could click for them and, and turn turn everything around. They're certainly good enough to 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 be. We've seen how they've been, you know performed against PSG and and uh, and 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 other games, and I, I think that there's there's no question that they can, if they want to, they can turn on to turn on the style. We know St James's Park is going to be is going to be rocking, so there's no there's no denying denying it there. Um, yeah, I you know I I I, I do think that. Given their performances of late, there is a good chance that this could all end in tears for them. But uh, I, you know, I, I I just feel like Newcastle are the kind of team that can absolutely produce produce a good performance on a on a big night when it really matters. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too surprised if uh, if they turn it
0: on this week. You mentioned it there yourself about the atmosphere at St. James's Park is going to be rocking. Eddie Howe, even in his uh, post-match press conference after the defeat at time, issued a rallying cry to the supporters as well, saying that we're going to need them more than ever. And that he knows that they can create special nights, nice special atmospheres at home for the Newcastle players. How big a factor is the crowd going to be at St. James's Park? Not just to, you know, even if they were playing with a fully fit squad, you know, they would need the crowd on this side, but... Where they have to dig deep and go that extra mile because they are so depleted. They're going to need that 12 man more than ever, I'd say. It's going to be huge. I mean, I, you know, that the, they could they could play AC Milan off the park if they wanted to
1: in an empty stadium. But I just I think that will be such a big a big thing for them. I mean, they, I mean in some ways, you know, Newcastle fans have been so blessed this this season, just given that what what a Champions League campaign to come back to after twenty years, and and uh, you know, every game has been huge, and it's 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 the only way that this sort of group stage should end for them with it, with another huge game and. Uh, there's no question that they will, that it will be absolutely rocking, and um, yeah, you know, it, uh, particularly after after the, the the weekend's performance, as you said, you know, tired legs out there and stuff. I think uh, there's every chance that you know the crowd could really uh, could really pick them up and, and get them over the line.
0: I was going to talk about the, the the fringe players perhaps getting a chance for Man City and Arsenal, but that would probably bore everyone to death talking that Pep rotation again. So instead of that, I'm going to throw you a curveball uh, as we end this morning. And we're talking here about Man United and Newcastle, you know, perhaps even both winning and that still not being enough to progress to the knockout stages. There is every chance that, you know, we're talking Thursday morning of only two English sides progressing to the knockout stages of the Champions League. Two teams that could probably, you know, feature in the final for sure and probably have a very long run in there. I'm not saying that Man City and Arsenal won't do that, you know, but does it serve as a timely reminder to all of us who like to say, oh, the Premier League's the best league in the world? and how competitive it is and how great it is. Especially that Man United group. You know, Newcastle, we can forgive them a little bit being in the group, as you said there, PSG, Dortmund and Milan, great away I'm sure they are fantastic fun. But Man United in the group with Bayern Munich, Galatasaray and Copenhagen, that should have been quite straightforward aside from the from the Bayern Munich matches for Man United. Relatively straightforward at least anyway. So this as a reminder to us that, you know, we all like to think the Premier League's the best, but Europe still has some very very good talented teams around and, and maybe we might have to rethink it occasionally that Premier League isn't maybe as as, as high class high quality high caliber as we like to uh, think it is in comparison to, to European leagues.
1: Yeah the, the Premier League is, is, is definitely got the biggest sort of variety at the moment of, of top teams and strong teams that you know I, I, I do think if we had seven or eight spaces for, for Champions League teams I mean they could feasibly all getting the quarterfinals you know uh so there's there's a kind of depth to the the quality in the premier league that i don't think other leagues have but of course i mean we we tend we have a big tendency in this country to to underestimate i think uh other teams particularly if they're not in in uh you know one of the big big uh few leagues so yes it is it is a sort of timely timely reminder um that said i I, I am a little bit concerned with the amount of power that the Premier League has and the amount of pull that it has on on the best players and the best manager and uh, managers and uh, you know I am slightly concerned that that you know moving forward there's fewer seems to be fewer and fewer teams capable of uh, matching humanities Man and and all that sort of stuff but I mean that's slightly going off topic I suppose so <laughs> I, I won't delve too too deep into that but uh, yeah look the, the 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 Premier League teams will, will always have you know, the, the last stages of, of Champions League and, and the Europa League are never going to be straightforward. There's always quality in Europe. And, uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's no there's no gimmies in uh, in last stage European
0: football, for sure. No, I completely understand your point there that, yes, it might only be two English teams that are in the knockout stages, but if the draw is favourable, um, not many of us would bet against perhaps Man City Arsenal final at Wembley uh, come June 1st would be at all. So, yeah, there is still... You know, it might, it might you might only have two lives left, but they're two very nice lives for England to have uh, in the in the knockout stages for sure. Harry, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time. As always, of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest on the Premier League, the Champions League, not to mention as well the transfer window ramping up. The coverage of that ahead of the window opening next month. Keep across all of that across the Daily Star, Daily Express, and Daily Mirror websites. But for now, it's goodbye.